Hello listeners, I hope you came hungry because this episode is going to have a lot of food for thought. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, we are really going to be thinking biblically about one particular area of life and that is uh, essentially the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision. Now, obviously, I wasn't planning on necessarily doing an episode like this. I didn't even consider that the Roe v. Wade decision would be dealt with so handily and so swiftly. Uh, And, you know, having, if you've been here, you know, we just came off of a six or seven episode series on psychology, and that was very heavy, very thorough, and maybe even difficult for a lot of people to get through. And so this episode was supposed to be something a little more lighthearted. I was going to talk about um, a Bible reading technique, but important things come up. And so here we are. Uh, Now, this episode will be just a little bit different because while typically I want to when we're when I'm applying a biblical worldview to things, I want to obviously show how my my thinking is informed specifically by something in God's word. But for this episode, it's going to be a bit of a different tone in that I'm going to be using a biblical worldview to just kind of interpret and think through the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision, what it means, and how we as followers of Jesus Christ can think about it. And so this episode will really be more about how, you know, Romans 12.2 talks about don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so this episode is going to be focused on thinking through a mind that has been transformed by the Holy Spirit because of our salvation through Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be really in a way addressing how we don't want our minds to be conformed to the world or to even think incorrectly or or in a way that is ungodly but instead how do we as as people who are the children of god how can we think through things what warnings should we watch out for what are some good things that we can do and things like that so that'll be this episode i'm not just gonna go find some bible verses to throw at you, if you will, but instead just talk through as a person who tries to have a biblical worldview and one that is surrendered to Jesus Christ in everything to where, as I've said before, a biblical worldview isn't just about having Bible verses, but instead about having a mind that is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ or as fully surrendered as we sinful humans can. So, If you haven't heard, uh, after almost 50 years of legalized abortions in America that were uh, supported and protected by the federal government, the blanket decision of Roe v. Wade was overturned. And so with it, uh, abortion rights and abortion laws are now left up to individual states rather than just having a broad covering by the government itself. And with this, obviously, people are talking. People are responding in anger, in fear, in sorrow. Others are responding in joy, in glorifying God, uh, maybe even a little bit of face rubbing for the other side finally losing. But everyone is responding. Everyone is thinking about this. And so while right now people have very high emotions, it's going to be important for us as followers of Christ to have a way of thinking and responding to this that isn't just making sense right now, but instead will help carry us through into what is essentially almost going to be a new America where abortion has been dealt such a serious blow. And so what I'm going to do is not just take one big point and kind of expand it through other points, but instead I'm just going to kind of talk about just some thoughts that I've gathered um, that I'd just like to share. These aren't necessarily all linked to a single purpose other than here's some stuff to consider. Here's some things to think about, respond with, or even watch out for. And with this, my greatest desire is to equip you and challenge you to just think as a follower of Christ, as a representative of Christ on this earth, how do we respond? How do we think? And how do we act now that this has happened? So the first thing I'd like to point out is that abortion hasn't ended. And that's kind of raining on the parade, right? Because we are all so excited. We are celebrating the fact that hundreds of thousands of babies are not going to be killed this year. But 
again, this isn't banning abortion, but instead it is leaving it up to the individual states in America to make their own laws and penalties and supports for abortion. And so, you know, right now we have this emotional high and it even feels like, oh, we finally got a victory. But one thing to realize is that abortion isn't ended. It is still a horrible thing that's going to be taking place in many places in America. And a lot of businesses are even coming out and waving their virtue signal flag and and basically paying people or paying for people to leave the state to go get an abortion elsewhere. And so it certainly hasn't ended. It is dealt a serious blow, and with that, a lot of children who would be killed will now be given the opportunity to live. But with that, we need to make sure that, again, while we're celebrating, we don't want to stop praying. We don't want to stop educating ourselves and understanding the arguments for and against abortion. And we don't want to stop working wherever God allows us to work. You know, in America, we are... I think very fortunate that we can have a say and we can influence policy in such a way that we can fight for the good things of God. But make sure that we don't just kind of rest and say, okay, good enough. Roe v. Wade has been overturned, so now we're done because there is still so much more horror that is going to be taking place in America while abortion is still legal, at least in certain places. Another thing to consider is that it's now time to understand why you believe what you believe. So a lot of people know that they are against abortion, but if pressed, they would have basically an emotional reason. It feels wrong. You know, why would you want to kill a baby and things like that? And those are fine. I mean, it's we we have consciences that are informed and we realize that if this is a human being, we probably shouldn't kill it as a human being, even if it's inconvenient for someone else. But... Now that the pro-choice side is no longer essentially the dominant uh, power in America or it doesn't have the law on its side, we as especially followers of Jesus Christ are going to be getting asked some very hard questions. So, for example, people are going to want to know why we want to ruin the lives of women. Why would we want to force a child to be born in a world of poverty and suffering maybe being born with a disability that is going to make them basically have a miserable existence until they die from whatever disorder or condition they have. Why would we want children to be born into abusive families where essentially they have no choice but to grow up, turn to crime or turn to a pattern of abuse where because they are abused by their parents or abandoned by their parents, they are going to turn around and do that to their own children and just create this cycle of suffering or in general how dare we take away a person's right to their own body and so with that we're going to be called horrible things and we're going to be accused of being hypocrites who preach the love of jesus but then turn around and hate one half of the human population by forcing women into these situations and then forcing children into these situations and being born and so as followers of christ we want to make sure that we understand truly why we are okay with this and beyond just an emotional appeal because if we are opposed to abortion for emotional reasons then we can turn and want to support abortion purely for emotional reasons if we do if we're not convinced logically rationally and biblically about why we are opposed to abortion then we are going to have a hard time logically and rationally and biblically responding to people who are challenging us and accusing us of being horrible inhumane people so really ask yourself why do you think the life of an unborn child is so important that we would force a woman to give birth rather than just remove that piece of tissue from their womb why do we think that they are actually human and not just a lump of cells that eventually become human they have the potential to be human and a big thing to consider is the reasons that we have for opposing abortion is that consistent with other parts of our worldview so if we are fighting for the value and sanctity of life do we apply that to more places than just a baby in the womb and so with that, I would encourage you, I'll have links down in the show notes for uh, a variety of resources that I already have available on my website, 
But uh, below, I will link my series on abortion to help you maybe challenge you or push you in a direction to be thinking about why it is that you oppose abortion. How should we view the unborn child in that mother's womb? Now, another thing to consider, and this is going to be super controversial, I'm sure, but it might be time to turn off the news. Now, the news is something that is a huge part of a lot of people's lives. They, I'm sure there's many people out there who spend more time watching the news and hearing a certain brand of newscaster report on events of the world and interpret events of the world rather than spending time in God's word or reading things or listening to things that grow them in their walk with Jesus Christ. So many people are having their worldviews crafted not by God's word, but by a, a handful of certain news sources with a certain political bent to them. And a huge problem with this comes in that so many of our ungodly beliefs and behaviors as followers of Christ come from us trying to allow ourselves to be conformed to the world. And even if a news source seems very balanced or very unbiased, the reality is that no news source is going to be focused on delivering true and accurate news because websites and, and radio stations and news programs they aren't really news programs. They're actually entertainment programs because they have an audience that they are appealing to. They are trying to create content that keeps people watching, keeps people clicking, keeps people sharing because they are driven by popularity. And the reality is that, especially in the culture that we live in now, people are driven by tribalism. They are driven by cheering for their own side and wanting to just see only the, the good of, of them and the people that they support, the people who agree with them, and also villainizing and even demonizing people that they are against. And so what news sources are ultimately going to do, whether it's with this whole Roe v. Wade decision or really anything, is that it is not going to give us a good, balanced, biblical, godly perspective. Instead, it is going to rile us up to fight for our political camp and fight against the other political camp. It is going to set up a dynamic of good versus evil, of friend and foe. And with that, they're going to do it by being less concerned with facts and more about creating stories. So whatever fact they represent, if you take a conservative and a liberal news source, they can report the same facts. They can talk about the same data or the same event, but how they report it is going to be aimed at riling up their audience to either cheer or boo based on how it's being reported. So it's not about what happened, but how you should feel about it. And Again, that is us having our minds conformed to the world. It is allowing the world to shape what we view as truth, what we view as good, what we desire, and what we hate. And I'd argue that a lot of what I'm going to talk about in this episode is going to go against a lot of what your preferred news source is going to want you to think. And I'm not saying do this because I say it, but instead... The things we're going to talk about are going to be focused on how can we glorify Christ in what we say and do and think. And no news source out there is going to tell you to do that same thing. So long story short, it may be time right now to not just get your thinking about the Roe v. Wade decision from a worldly secular news source, even if a lot of what they fight for are good things. You know, if you're getting it from, say, Fox News, who is predominantly anti-abortion, just because you agree with them on some things does not mean that they are going to call you to glorify God. Now, to see even more of this, I actually I'll link a podcast episode down below, um, and in that episode, I I started a conversation about what happened during those January six protests, and then from there, though, what I really explored was how the news forms and shapes how we view reality and what we do. And so I will put a link to that episode down below, as well as the two timestamps to check out because you don't need to listen to the full thing. But there are two parts in that that are, I think, very valuable to listen to to better understand the role that news should play in our lives. Now, another thing to consider is that we need to understand the difference between pro-life and anti-abortion. 
So if you try to objectively pay attention to the things that the pro-choice crowd discusses, a major criticism that they have had for years is that Christians are not pro-life. In other words, they, they don't value the sanctity of life. They don't value human flourishing and human growth and human protection. Really, they are simply anti-abortion. In other words, they accuse us of not caring about a child when it's out of the womb. The only thing we want to do is stop abortions, but we don't want human life to be protected. We don't value all human life equally. And so other things that they'll point out with within this abortion discussion is they may say that we only care about certain kinds of lives. So if a child is in America, we care more about that child than a child in another country or a child of a certain race or a child of a certain look or socioeconomic background. And they will accuse us of saying, you know, yeah, we, we you know, support life and life should be valued. And life has an innate value given by God because we are made in the image of God. But then they'll accuse us of being essentially hypocrites because while we say, yes, we need to protect life, people who are pro-life are also the ones who very loudly support going to war or executing criminals or having loose gun laws that lead to unnecessary shootings. Or they even see us post something about protecting an innocent human baby and not killing them, but then also sharing or talking about or liking something on Facebook where we are calling for the death of politicians or celebrities or just someone they don't like. And the point of this isn't to say, are they right or not, but to point out the fact that they are seeing something in our behaviors, in our thoughts, in our beliefs that are allowing them to consistently accuse us of hypocrisy by saying life is valuable, but then they see us stand for these other things. Now, again, it's not about whether if you are pro-life, you have to be anti-war or anything like that. But my point is to make sure that if you are saying that human life is valuable, make sure that that is bleeding through to every other belief that you hold. If you truly believe that all life is valuable because all life is equally important, all humans are equal representatives of God or, or equally made in God's image. And especially followers of Jesus Christ, if we truly believe that, does that impact the other beliefs we have? Or are our beliefs simply in line with one style of political thinking? And as followers of Christ, it is indeed making us hypocrites. So in short on that one, is life in the womb as valuable to you as life outside the womb? Is life in an American womb as important to you as a Somalian life outside the womb. If not, then it may be time to either figure out what you mean by life is valuable or revisit how you view others in these different situations. Uh, next is that it's important for us to understand that the other side, the pro-choice side, they hold their position for a reason. And this is in a way going to boil down to lying or bearing false witness. Because a lot of times, especially if you're talking to people in a secular setting, you know, from different news sources and things like that, it's very easy to see the pro pro-choice side as this very flat two-dimensional villain. We view them as heartless monsters who are cheering for killing, you know, almost maybe two between 1,500 and 2,000 babies every single day in America. There was that whole shout your abortion thing where women were, were celebrating and being celebrated for killing the child that was in their womb at some point in their lives. And we sit here and we hear these things and we ask ourselves, how monstrous, what kind of person do you have to be to value anything higher than a human life? And so it's very easy for us to almost ironically dehumanize people on the other side of the argument and portray them in a way that isn't really accurate to them because we say, oh, you have to be less human, less loving, less kind, less godly to believe in, in, in a pro-choice belief system. And so when we do that, we paint it as basically a very simple good versus evil scenario where the pro-choice is just this evil side. They only exist to do harm. They, If they would just 
be kinder, be more loving, be more human, then obviously they would change their minds. And I want us to stop doing that because again, these aren't just these cold, heartless people who are somehow more sinful than people on our side, but instead they are rational, loving, intelligent, and functional adults equally made in the image of God who have a lifetime of experiences just like we do. And they believe in the importance of abortion. And there is a reason that they will fight for policies or even question our goodness and humanity as we fight to end abortion. And it's not a simple answer. It's not a simple, oh, well, here is why everyone just believes that abortion is good or necessary to protect. And so I'm not going to try to cover that in just this kind of uh, rattling off of, of thoughts, but instead, I want to call you to put down your hostile lenses where you are just seeing them as anti-you. They are against you. They are in the other group. And instead, try to really try to understand why they believe what they believe. What is it that makes them say, you know, some will even say abortion is a terrible thing and it is ending a human life, but it's still important. Understand how their their full-fledged worldview can lead them to that. Because when you do, it's not going to persuade you to their side, but it's going to allow you to interact with them in a way that is true and accurate to what they believe. Because otherwise, when we just set up these walls and just accuse them of things and make these biting, snarky Facebook posts and stuff like that, ultimately, we're bearing false witness. We are lying and misrepresenting the truth of what someone else believes. And that is not glorifying to our God. Now, within that, as I kind of hinted at, another point is that abortion does kill human beings, and some are okay with that. Now, many of you are aware that I recently did a series on how science and logic and God show us that human, that, that babies in the womb are fully human and what God thinks about them. And the point of that, obviously, was to prove just the humanity because a big driving force behind anti-abortion sentiment or pro-abortion sentiment is to, in a way, dehumanize and to make the unborn somehow a little less than human, either calling them a, a, you know, a fetus, using a cold term like that, saying, well, they're not humans yet, they are just potential humans, because that makes it much easier. But there are those who will be very honest and they will say, yes, an unborn child is scientifically and logically a human being, but abortion is still important. Now to maybe try to understand a bit of why they say that, because when I heard this example used, that was a light bulb moment for me of, oh, I get why they think this. I understand how they could say it's human, but that doesn't matter. So here is a, a version of an example that uh, the pro-choice side might use to help you better understand why they believe what they believe. So again, this is, this is a hypothetical situation. It's not realistic. Don't sit here and just pick apart. Oh, well, that's, that's illogical. That's not right. That's never going to happen because that's not the point. The point is to show the consistency. And so this is going to essentially remove the cute, innocent baby from the equation and show how almost inhuman and unloving and wicked it is to force someone to remove their bodily autonomy for the sake of another person. So it goes something like this. Imagine you wake up in a hospital one day. You hear beeping. You you know are a bit uncomfortable. You look over and, and you see that you are attached to another human being through a series of machines and tubes. There's, there's a full adult laying in the bed next to you, basically unconscious. Now you're freaking out and the doctor comes in and they explain to you that this person was going to die, but they discovered that you were the only person capable of keeping them alive because of your DNA and things like that. And so you, you alone can ensure that this person lives, but in order for that to happen, they need to be fully and completely connected to you for the next nine months so that they can regain their strength and be able to be unattached from you and live a life. Now, ethically, it seems obvious. Oh, well, of course you would. Of, of course, that's the good thing to do. I mean, there's, there's this human being who without you is going to die. But the wickedness comes in when the doctor says, now, I don't care what you think about this. 
you have to stay attached to this person. If you disconnect yourself from them, they will die and you will go to jail for murder. And so what this example shows is that just like in the situation, when when a, a woman is pregnant and you tell them you have to carry this baby, you have to give birth to them. And especially in a situation where that pregnancy was forced on them through something like sexual assault, then what we are essentially doing is we are saying, I don't care what you think. You don't have a right to choose what you do with your life or with your body. And that is to remove a basic human right that we all understand we have, which is that we essentially cannot be forced to live in a certain way for the sake of another person. We cannot especially have something done to us biologically in a way or medically that is against our will. Now, again, don't immediately just knee-jerk response with an argument of, oh, well, yeah, but I know, I know, but this is the perspective that they have that, yes, it is terrible to end the life of another human being, but it is equally or even more terrible to remove choice from a person and basically abduct their body, steal their, their rights to what they do and how they live from them and say, no, you have to do this. You have to be attached to this human being. If they die, you go to jail. You do not get a choice in this. And that's a scary thing to a lot of people. That's a terrifying thing, not because of what it means right now, but even where it goes. And so that is going to lead us to another point, and that is that real people are really scared. Again, it's very easy to just paint, you know, mothers who would kill their children as these monstrous, unloving barbarians. But the reality is that there are women right now who feel incredibly violated by what's happening because they are told because of your biology, because you have a womb, you don't get a right to your body. And so women feel very violated by this. They are basically being told you exist for breeding is how they feel. Also, there are men and women who fear that basic human rights are being ignored and that this is only the first step. Because if we can tell a woman you have to carry a child, what else can we tell people that they have to do with their bodies or can't do with their bodies? When we remove bodily autonomy from people, when we tell them your body has to experience this thing, then that is a crossed line that is easy to just keep pushing further and further. And that is what a lot of people are scared about right now is... On one hand, yes, just the reality of abortion, but where does this go next once we realize that we can control human beings in this way? Now, on top of that, there are now pregnant women who realize because of a court decision, they have months to figure out what to do now that they can't get an abortion. And there are women who are finding out they're pregnant right now who are likewise trying to understand what, where do I go from here? What do I do now? And they're scared because something they thought was an option and maybe they even lived their lives in a way banking on this medical option is now no longer an option. And so people are scared. And then not only is the human right thing an issue, but people are also afraid that abortion being illegal doesn't stop it from happening, but instead it's going to stop it from happening safely. And so the big rallying cry of you know, these back alley abortions where you have this unknown doctor with, you know, rusty medical equipment, or you have people who, you know, historically we have evidence that people have died trying to give themselves an abortion. I mean, there's a, a very famous photo of a woman who basically tried to abort her child. And I think it was a hotel room and just died there trying to stop the blood flow while her uh, partner, who was not her husband, ran away and hid. And so that is what people are afraid is going to happen again, is not that babies are going to stop being killed, but instead that women and babies are now going to start dying. And so again, the point isn't to justify or criticize how people are feeling, but instead to give us something to consider as we're talking to people is this isn't just some theoretical debate. These are real people's lives that they are seeing crumble before them and they are looking towards the future and wondering, what does this mean for me? now? Or what does this mean for my children now? And so with that fear comes anger. And a lot of people online are very angry. I mean, there's protests, there's 
attacks and things like that going on. And I think that really all this boils down to not just people being angry for no reason, but they're angry because they're afraid. They don't know what to do, and so their natural response, because sinful people are sinful, is that they are angry and, and reacting to this fear that they have about the unknown and about what they feel is their loss of control. Now, next point is that we should consider how this changes the next 20 years. So, in just the United States, over 600,000 babies are killed every year. That's over half a million children, basically every year for almost 50 years that have been killed. Obviously, it's numbers have changed, but millions and millions of children who could have experienced a full life didn't. But now, with where things stand, again, all abortions aren't ended, but a lot of children who would have been killed now get to live. And we celebrate that. We, we praise God for that reality. But we also need to be mindful of the fact that this is going to change America over the next 20 years. Children, more children are going to be born into poverty and they're going to grow up in essentially a criminal environment. There's going to be many broken homes where a guy will essentially knock up his girlfriend, his one night stand, whatever. She now has to have that baby knowing full well that it's just going to be her and her child and that the, the father is going to be nowhere to be found and of no help whatsoever. And so we're going to have a generation of fatherless children who, as Christians, we want to realize are going to need to understand a heavenly father who we tell them, yes, God is your father. If you're a Christian, God is your father. He is there. He loves you. He wants you. And for some, that might be a comfort because they've never experienced that. But for a lot of people, your earthly father tells you about your heavenly father because as dads, that's our role. We need to display the goodness and love of God to our children in whatever limited ways we can as sinners. And so as, as followers individually and as the church in general, we are going to have over the next 20 years, these children being born into very difficult situations where parents, for the most part, don't want them. And that is going to affect their worldview, what they believe about life. And as we are sharing the gospel with them, that is going to impact how they view everything about the gospel, about the Trinity and who God is based on the life experience that they've had. Now, that's just a small understanding of how this is going to change America and as Christians. But I, I'm not a social commentator. I, I cannot sit here and just see all the little spider webs and, and, and follow the threads on all the different ways this is going to impact things. But as Christians, we need to not just be content to sit and just say, okay, well, we, we won our, our important point. We, we won the argument. But instead, we need to be prepared for what this is going to do to the church over the next year, five years, over the next few decades. It's going to change. And how we respond is going to matter and have long-term ramifications. Now, switching gears just a little bit, um, I also want to point out that there is a reason that women think they need abortions. And this is all going to boil down to worldview and a woman's belief system. Because the reality is that people don't just willy-nilly go out and get painful medical procedures, things that hurt them physically, things that even scar them emotionally for maybe their whole lives. So just like no one goes and tries to get a prosthetic leg when they have two perfectly good legs, and no one goes to get heart surgery when their heart doesn't need it, no woman goes to get an abortion unless she thinks she needs to have an abortion. Now, ignoring the rare argument on pregnancy through sexual assault or the life of the mother being at stake. So just setting those aside, I want to share 12 reasons why women feel like they have to get an abortion, why they are convinced that they need access to safe and legal abortion care. So first is that they fear that they aren't able to financially support their child and they're already living in poverty. And so their child is not just going to be born into poverty, but more poverty because now mom has to split whatever income she has in supporting this human life. They 
a mother may also think that they can't just raise a child because they aren't mature enough, they aren't smart enough, they don't have good motherly instincts, they are convinced they just can't raise a child. Uh, maybe they just don't want to raise a child as a singer, single mother or as a mother in an unhealthy relationship. Uh, maybe, number four, their partner or the father of the child doesn't want the child and it, they push the mother to abort a child that maybe the mother did actually want, but they, they did what their partner said. Uh, number five, it would negatively affect their current career. So maybe there's a, a mother who has spent her whole life building towards this big career or wherever she's at in life, and a child would just devastate that because there is evidence that pregnant women tend to have a harder go of it in terms of work and getting promotions and even keeping their job because is a, is a mother going to be more unstable? Is she going to want to just leave eventually and raise her child? And so having a child is going to jeopardize this career that she wants or needs. Number six, they still have plans, goals, or even just want to have a life of fun that would be hindered or completely stopped by having a child. So essentially, they have the life they want to live, and there's no room in that life, in that future, for a child. Uh, number seven, maybe this pregnancy came about as a bad experience. Again, rape, sexual abuse, a partner who cheated on them or, or physically or mentally abused them. And so having that child would just essentially be looking at the evidence of this thing that they'd like to put behind them. Number eight, they're part of a culture that subtly hints and nudges people that pregnancy is what you do when you're ready. And so abortion is just a natural choice to hold off until you're prepared. So instead of abortion basically being this big decision you have to make, it's actually, in our culture, pregnancy. Keeping a pregnancy or, or choosing to pursue pregnancy, that is the big decision you have to make. That is something that shouldn't be thrust upon you. And so abortion is almost the more natural, low-key, common thing that we should assume about our lives is that it's, it, is, it essentially presses pause or hits rewind or deletes, if you will, a mistake that we made so that we can keep going until we are ready for that child to come into the world. Um, number nine, having that child can bring shame from a family, their church, or their friends. So maybe it is a, a child from when they committed adultery. Maybe it's a child from... Uh, sexual fornication. In other words, they weren't married, but they were having sex outside of marriage. Uh, maybe just in general, their friends don't want them, don't want to have a friend who's pregnant because it's a thing that is shameful to have. Um, or again, you know, it, within the church, I mean, how many stories are there out there of someone who got pregnant instead of the church rallying around them and supporting them and loving them, they basically ostracized them and said, oh, how dare you be sinful? And many people are hurt because they got pregnant and how the church reacted. And it was much less loving than God's enemies and their reactions. Uh, number 10, and this is kind of related to the previous one, but pregnancy can be seen as just anti-feminist. So when you are pregnant, you are seen by some segments of feminism as just a breeding machine. You are an incubator for a child. You are less than a man because you allowed them to turn you into their baby mama. Uh, 11, they're just in general afraid of various unknowns regarding pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. I mean, if, if we really think about it, I mean, as men, I've been present with multiple births with my wife and they don't look fun. The, the morning sickness, the pains, the aches, the sensitivity to smells. Um, I mean, you know, as a dad, I've even experienced the whole parenthood thing and how difficult that is, especially in those early years. And there's women out there who, when they've never gone through it, I mean, they're, they're looking at having to go towards an inevitable moment where they have to push a child out or have it surgically removed from their stomach. And that's terrifying. And so they would rather say, no, thank you if they have the option. Or number 12 is that they simply don't want to bring a child into this world. Maybe the mother had a terrible traumatic childhood or they just look around at the world and you know, one of the most common phrases we hear is, I don't want to bring a child into this screwed up world. And so rather than 
fostering a human life that is just inevitably going to live decades of suffering just end their misery now. And so these aren't the only reasons, obviously, but these are a lot of the most popular ones or, or more justific bigger justifications for getting an abortion. And if you listen to all of these, they're very different. They're, they're unique to each person's situation, but they all have a similar sound to them. And it all boils down to the, what the mother believes. So it's about the image that she has and, and that she believes she needs to maintain. It's about what she believes about how the future will go for her, about what she needs, about what she can or can't handle. Abortion essentially is something a woman thinks she needs, but for the most part, it is based on not that she medically needs it, not that she is guaranteed that she won't love this child or that things will go catastrophic, but instead it's about what she fears about what that child would mean for her. And so with that, my point of this isn't just to examine, oh, well, there's a, a nice philosophical reason why women seek abortions. But instead, I want us to realize that it's not just enough for us to just chain the doors of Planned Parenthood and, and hold out, uh, put a guard in front and say, no, you can't come in here. No abortions for you. Because even if a woman can't get an abortion, there is something going on in what she understands about truth, about the world, about herself, that leads her to desire that abortion. And so as Christians, we can bring truth into that situation. If, if we are adequately equipping ourselves and therefore equipping men and women in the church and, and our children and their friends and things like that, if we are able to bring truth and help people see a better way, understand a better belief system, to see the value in that pregnancy and to not fear what it means for the mother, then abortion isn't going to be a thing that they feel they need because they're going to see what that birth and that child in them truly is. Now, digging a little bit deeper from this point, another thing to understand is that abortion is a symptom of a deeper issue. Again, yes, abortion is getting slowed down. And we praise God for it. You know, years of prayer have, have led to this moment. But abortion itself, beyond just a mother feeling she needs it, there's a reason that abortion is such a big deal in this country versus a hundred years ago. And really, this, this discussion deserves its own episode. But just some things to kind of point out about why abortion stopping abortion isn't going to be enough because it's not dealing with that deeper root issue. So some things that have led to abortion being so necessary and so desired. Number one is that sex has become an idol in our culture. There's been a lot of criticism about the purity culture that came before. And while some of the criticisms are very short-sighted, there is a reality that people were told, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And that was it. If you acted a certain way, then you were doing right. And people didn't understand why sex was so bad. And so as generations move on, that that teaching, which may have started from a good place, but if it didn't have content to it, if it didn't have substance to help people understand why they believed that about sex, then in future generations, they may keep repeating that same phrase of don't have sex. But over time, people are going to start saying, why? And a lot of times that ends up with, with kids asking why, not getting a satisfying answer because they realize their parents don't really know or they don't have a legitimate reason to tell themselves no. And so then they go exploring this thing that's been forbidden to them. And as we've seen with what's been called the sexual revolution, sex went from something that is a good thing between a man and wife and it became something that is kind of done in secret. But, you know, if a, if a, if a girl sleeps around, you know, she's just no good and, and no one wants her. And now sex is something that is weird not to do. It makes people suspicious of you if you are not having sex because sex now, because it's such an idol, because it is so entrenched in our culture, sex is how you prove that you're mature because, you know, it, you know, it's childish, it's foolish. It makes you a baby or a prude or a weakling to not go and have sex. It also proves that you're fun because you're just out to have a good time. You know, you're not all stuffy and afraid to let yourself enjoy things. And it also shows that you're free. 
you aren't going to be bound by society. You're not going to be bound by your parents or by your religion that tells you not to explore and to enjoy this thing. But instead, you are proving that you are an elevated, mature human being because you embrace the freedom to have sex. And not only that, but having sex, and this is nothing new, but having sex is a way to prove that you're a man. Because if you can have sex with a bunch of people, then you know that you're 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 really a man because you know how to have sex with women. Or sex is a way to prove that you love someone. And if you won't have sex with with your your boyfriend or your girlfriend, then clearly you don't love them because that is proof. That is evidence. The only way that you can prove to someone that you love them is to have some form of sex. Maybe it doesn't start right with sex, but it goes to kissing, to touching, to other acts, and eventually it has to lead to sex because sex is the only way to confirm that your relationship is real. And for most people, they don't understand why sex is such a big deal. They've grown up in a culture where sex is in every form of media. They are constantly barraged with the reality of sex is good. You need to have sex. You need to look a certain way. You need to have a certain lifestyle. And so now people, people have sex. They want sex. They don't know why, but it feels good and it's something they're supposed to want. And so because of that, obviously, for those of you who may have lived in the footloose town all your lives, sex leads to pregnancy. And so the more people are having sex and the more they're having fun sex, where the goal is sex, not pregnancy, then as you get pregnant, you need to deal with that because you, you wanted to have fun. You wanted to live that life. You didn't want to have the obligations attached to it. And so abortion is just this symptom of sex becoming an idol in our culture. Now, on top of that, and I'm not going to labor this point as much, but Christians have lost control of the purpose of sex. Now, I have an article on my website that I released a couple weeks ago that basically that I'll link down below. But essentially what I do in that is I point out the fact that we have surrendered the purpose and the definition of love, sex, and marriage to the world. We live lives where we think about getting a spouse in terms of how they make us feel, how attracted we are to them. We teach our children to have sexual relationships. Maybe we tell them don't have penetrative sex, but kissing, snuggling, touching, dressing sexy, checking people out, hooking up and then breaking up and basically just practicing for divorce. We have given up everything biblical about love, sex, and marriage to the world. And we have adopted the world's thinking on how relationships are supposed to be, what the purpose of marriage is, what the purpose of sex is. And because of that, maybe we, what we believe isn't going to change the world because the world's going to pursue sin because that's what the world does. But within Christianity, we are partly to blame for the constant need for abortion because we don't understand what it's all about. We think exactly like the world does. Maybe we slap a nice shiny Christian veneer on it, but ultimately our belief about Emotional and physical relationships is just as rotten as the rest of the world. And then a third thing is basically abortion exists because people are foolish. Now, obviously, right? But what I mean is that people are not thinking of the results of what they do. Now, obviously, again, people know if you have sex, you can get pregnant. If you are pregnant, it's because you had sex. But for a lot of people, they aren't connecting those two things. And so we have a lot of people who basically just haven't been trained in logical thought and in reasoning. They just live for the moment. They feel like having sex. They feel like doing these things. They feel like living this life and they have no thought for the consequences of that. And we see this in every area of life. I mean, look how unhealthy our world is, especially West, the Western culture both physically and spiritually and emotionally, because we do the things that feel good now. We do the things that make us happy now with very little consideration about what the future is going to hold, because that's a problem for future us to deal with. But right now, I can't imagine living a life where I would deny myself of something that I can have and want to have. So that is just some of the deeper root issues behind the need for abortion and how 
we as Christians need to really think about that. What are we teaching our children? What are we teaching ourselves? What are we taking in in the media that is reinforcing a certain belief system or worldview? Just like my discussion on how the news shapes our thinking and tells us what to desire and what to hate, our entertainment, the music we listen to, the shows we watch, and the movies and the books that we read, and the things that we dwell on, all of those are creating a worldview in us as well. And for a lot of us, that worldview is not a whole lot different from the enemies of God. Now, next point of discussion is that we need to point people to Christ right now. So on a broad scale, we can you know, tell people about the purpose of sex and we can try to regulate how they have sex and when they can. And we can even create a culture that shames people out of having sex and getting pregnant or getting abortions and things like that. But ultimately, no, a law can force people to act right, but no law can force people to become holy and devoted to God. Their behaviors may be better, but they still will be dying without Christ. And so as Christians, it's very important for us to realize that the need for abortion comes from a sin issue. Those who are fighting for abortion comes from a sin issue. And so we need to be making sure that we are pointed towards Christ as we are understanding these things. But from there, we also need to realize that if we want to truly stop sinful behavior, whether it's sex outside of marriage, whether it's adultery, whether it's killing children, the true solution is going to be Jesus Christ. And so, again, as I've said, we live in a country where I do believe that God has given us a blessing in being able to not just be at the whims of an individual leader, but instead that we can, through a lot of processes, have a say in what is and isn't allowed in our country. But again, our, our goal cannot be on how we change things in this world in terms of policy, because this world is temporary. This life that we live, the existence of our country, the existence of our world, it is a small blip on the grand scale of eternity. Hundreds of thousands of years from now, when we are living our eternal life with Jesus Christ, all of this stuff that was so important to us is going to be so small, maybe even forgotten. But how we invested in the kingdom of God, whether it is by growing in spiritual maturity, telling other people about Jesus Christ and bringing them to an understanding of their need for a savior, the things we fought for, the things that we fed ourselves, those are the things that are going to matter for eternity. So again, yes, we need to end murder. We do. But that cannot be our be-all, end-all goal is to fight for political policy. We need to fight the darkness in this world by bringing them the light of Jesus Christ. And the only way that we're going to do that is to make sure that our desires and our goals are pointing us in that direction. So if all we focus on is behavior modification and changing what people can and can't do, and that is where we see our victory, then we are not going to be changing anything for the kingdom of God. People may act better, but they're still going to die without Jesus Christ. And so murdering a child is a horrible thing. It is a sin, and God will have his justice on earth for it. But it is so much worse for someone to die and face God's judgment without Jesus Christ having paid for their sin. So what I'm advocating for is not to just abandon the fight, but instead to fight from the right position, to, to go in the right direction, to not forget that our primary goal and desire is not to win political favor, not to win the policy war, but to win people to Jesus Christ. And from there, not just to say, hey, good enough, but instead to grow them in spiritual maturity through discipleship, through training, so that they can grow up, call others to repentance in Jesus Christ, and also be able to train others also. Now, with that, let's not get confused about what happened here, because my second to last point, third to last point, excuse me, I know how to count. My third to last point is that this victory belongs to God and not to a political party. So let's be real honest here. In America, you are defined in very narrow ways. And one of the big thing that defines you is where you stand on abortion. And so historically, the Republican Party has been kind of the pro-life party. 
They, they've always been the ones that are fighting for it, and they are essentially the ones who pushed for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. But let's not confuse and think that because Republicans did it, that Republicans are the ones to be praised, or that it is somehow a confirmation that Republicans are on God's side. Because let's not forget that Christians have spent the last 50 years praying for God to change hearts so that abortion can end or at least be severely crippled in America. And if we really think about it, people who spent the last 50 years praying, a lot of them are dead now. They didn't get to see God answer this prayer. They died still believing, God, this needs to change. And now today we get to see the results of those prayers of those people who have relied on God and trusted that he alone is the one that's going to bring about this change. And we want to celebrate that. But let's not forget that God uses sinners to accomplish his goals. And so in this in this way, we have God and we have Republicans who I believe both hate abortion. But that doesn't make God a Republican. And that is a critical thing we need to realize because we often twist and say that because I am a Christian, I am a Republican. And because I am a Republican, I am everything I fight for is Christian. And the reality is that it's not. The Republican Party is a human party. It is it is fought for by sinful enemies of God. It is built on human logic. Some points of it may be in line with Christianity. I will not argue that, but I will argue against the fact that it is Republicans who won this victory. It was God and God alone. He used the Republican Party. He used specific individuals. He used his people throughout history praying for this and working against it. But all glory for this goes to God. We don't cheer and high five the Republican Party. We praise and glorify God for what has happened and what will happen. Now, second to last thing, sorry to keep you waiting on this one, but I also want us to realize as we wind down that this whole conversation, I mean, this has been a very pro-life discussion, I know, but I want to point out that while I am arguing from a biblical worldview, and I believe that the pro-life position is honoring and glorifying to God, being pro-choice doesn't define you as a Christian. And so a lot of what I'm seeing right now in discussions is people will say, oh, well, so-called Christians online are saying this. And people who say they're Christian are angry about Roe v. Wade being overturned. And what we're doing is we are saying that the truth of the gospel, the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life, Christ's saving work is defined by what you believe, not about faith, not about sin, not about the work that Christ did on the cross, but your salvation is determined by how you view this one particular issue in America. And so if you ever want to push someone further into pro-choice beliefs and further away from having a good spiritual godly discussion, tell them they're not a Christian if they support abortion. Because reality is that that will do one of two things. One, it will make you look like a fool. And two, it will further prove to that person that pro-life people do not understand God or the Bible. Because we, we cannot sit here and say that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, but then tell people that they have to believe other things in order to truly prove they are saved. Instead, let's realize that God brings us to truth at different speeds. He brings us to different truths, and there's some truth that we may die being completely wrong about. Now, abortion is a very hard one to argue from a Christian perspective, but people do. People who are truly born again, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they are angry about what happened with abortion in America. And so as we're talking to these people, let's not make it this black and white case of if you don't agree with me, you're not a Christian. Because when we do that, we are teaching a false gospel. We are being false teachers. When we tell someone, if you support abortion, if you are a Democrat, if you are a liberal, then you are not really a Christian. Because that makes us say that the truth of the gospel and salvation is found in a political party and not in Jesus Christ. And finally, the big point that I want to make is that 
We need to represent Jesus Christ with everything that we say or post or do online. So ultimately, our goal in life is really just to represent Christ in everything we do anyway. Whether or not this abortion discussion is happening, we are representatives of Jesus Christ on this earth. Everything we say and everything we do is pointing people to Christ because people know who Jesus Christ is by how we act. Remember, Christ even told the disciples that people are going to know if they belong to Jesus Christ by their actions, by how they treat one another. So people can't see Christ. They can't engage with Christ. Most people refuse to understand Christ through the Bible. Instead, they understand Christ through other people. And so when they see us online and we are just being angry and hateful, when we are mocking others, when we are basically acting in a way that is in line with the world or one part, one political party in the world, instead of being different and weird and strange and saying that we support the end of abortion, but then doing it in love and gentleness and tenderness to those who are afraid, being considerate and understanding of the beliefs of people who disagree with us. When we respond to this the whole Roe v. Wade thing in a way that is so different from how the rest of the world is responding, that tells people who Jesus Christ is. Otherwise, if we are acting like basically a giant cliche of a Christian online where we're angry and hateful and bitter and calling for the deaths of people and and calling people horrible names and misrepresenting people, lying about them, murdering them in our hearts... When we act like that, then that is what we are telling them Jesus Christ is about. We say that Jesus hates them, not because of their sin, not because of what they've done against a holy God, but because of what they believe, because of whether they have an R or a D on their voting card. And so instead, I'm, I'm calling you, I'm begging you to represent Jesus Christ to not throw away this opportunity we have to show the world who our Savior truly is, to show them what we really stand for, where our hope truly lies. Our hope doesn't lie in our party winning. Our hope doesn't lie in the laws of the land, of what people do and don't do in their behaviors. Our hope lies in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in the eternal life that we have in him. And we wanna show them that. We wanna show them our hope isn't in the world, Our identity isn't in a political party and that our joy and sorrow aren't linked to what happens in this life. We have our hope in a perfect, almighty, and eternal God who will accomplish whatever he sets out to accomplish. He uses us, he uses sinners to accomplish his work. But we exist to serve God and God alone in everything we say, everything we do, everything we desire. And so as you're kind of winding down from this episode. I know there's a lot that people may disagree with, but this is the point that you need to nod your head to. And that is that we represent Jesus Christ. We portray who he is, what he says to people around us. We are supposed to be lights in the world. We are supposed to be transformed in our thinking. And therefore we need to be transformed in our actions. Because the things that we do, the things that we say, the stuff we share, what we display to the world is a true and accurate representation of what it is that we believe, how we think. And so please, please, Christian, before you do anything, before you say anything, let the first thing you do be to ask yourself, am I setting my mind on things above right now? Am I serving Jesus Christ with what I'm about to do or say? Have I sinned against people? And do I need to show the repentance that we need towards Jesus Christ by seeking someone's forgiveness? Even if that makes us look weak in their eyes, even if that lets them think that they won an argument, do we need to seek forgiveness either individually or even publicly for the things that we say or do either in person or online? There's a lot, a lot to say about this, but again, there'll be some links down in the notes if you want to think more about this, but my, my greatest plea and desire with this entire podcast is not to be too political, although it was an unavoidable discussion, but ultimately, the only thing I want you to walk away from, from listening to this, is that 
you are a follower of Jesus Christ and therefore you represent Jesus Christ. So show Christ to a world who needs him. The world does not need certain laws. The world does not need to act a certain way. The world needs to see their sin for what it is, to see what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and to realize that this life is momentary. It's nothing. It's a vapor. Only putting their trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, getting forgiveness of their sins through his sacrifice, that is the only thing that they need. And without that, absolutely, positively, nothing else is going to matter. So to wrap this up, that is a lot to talk about, but there's obviously so much more that could have been said. But these are just the thoughts that I've had as I've seen discussions, as I've watched people interact online, as I've talked to people. These are the things that I see some doing well and some needing to be called out on. So the consequences of overturning Roe versus Wade... We have no idea what that's going to do. We have no idea where things are going from here. We are still in the days following what happened. But again, I want to close this off by reminding us that the one thing that will always be true is that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to set our sights on our Savior so that we can serve him. And the only way that we can do that is by thinking and living through a worldview that is grounded in God's word. And having minds that are not conformed to the world and what the world tells us to think or do or how we identify ourselves, but instead by having minds that have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash Onward in the Faith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.